This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117, with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive. Play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 82 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Saturday, May 15th, 2021. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, I'm joined by guest host Asa Greenriver of Borderline Entertainment to discuss Xbox turning 20, Battlefield info coming in June, and the future of the coalition with Gears of War. After that, Eve Crevochet of Take This joins me to discuss their organization's efforts to improve mental health stigmas in the gaming industry, both on the developer side and for gamers. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every week, I like to start the show by offering words of kindness to those who have made my gaming week better. And this week we have two candidates for the words of kindness. The first is to Mr. Anti-Macro, my friend from above the border. My Canadian friend Anti-Macro sent me the coolest DM on Twitter last week uh, with essentially just kind words himself, thanking me for making XEP, saying what he likes about the show, things he enjoys about uh, my contributions to the gaming verse. And as a content creator, those kind words mean the absolute world. Sometimes we get caught up in uh, iTunes ratings or likes or shares and all that stuff. But really and truly, when people take the time to say messages uh, like Mr. Anti-Macro did, it meant the absolute world. I'm looking forward to him appearing on a few uh, podcasts down the road as well. Uh, but really and truly, thank you for those kind words. And I appreciate it so much uh, that I hope that uh, this serves as a small thank you to you and a, a reverse card, as it will, for you, Mr. Macro. Now, the second person that I must say my kind words to is my co-host for the evening from Borderline Entertainment, Mr. Asa Green River. Thank you, sir, for agreeing to join me this evening. Dude, thank you for having me. I'm just happy to be here. I am thrilled to have you here. Uh, it is a long time coming that we've gotten a, get a, gotten a chance to work together. Yes. We played Fortnite too long ago. I know. Uh, we we got to fix that. We got to play again. It's funny because like your your content creation schedule is is not conducive to my current work schedule, and so I feel like <laughs> I haven't been able to be there in person. But I've been uh, following you along on the socials, of course. Always enjoying the kindness you put out there, and uh, I know I was telling you before the show. It's quite coincidental in the best ways that uh, your guest co-hosting here uh, on the episode in which Eve Crevochet of Take This is joining us. Yes. Tell me yeah. what you're doing with them. That's the, You have some cool stuff going on there and with Borderline. Yeah. So um, I've actually been working with Take This for quite a while now. Um, started working with them back in 2019. Um, and uh, th that capacity has just been growing ever since then. Um, so what's the... So the big project that we just completed was the boxed in event with um, Parker from uh, from like so his name is Parker Games, but he's like he was on like Disney XD and um, does a lot of 
like kid centric, just a lot of big gaming content. So he locked himself in a glass box for like 10 days um, to raise, to raise money and raise awareness uh, for take this, which was fantastic. Um, uh, we also recently did a partnership with uh, Xbox. Um, so for uh, mental health month for, for the month of May, mental health awareness month um, there, when you turn on your Xbox, no matter if it's a one, uh, one X, one X series X series S uh, you'll see a little, take this icon and you can click that and learn more about the org and what they're doing. Um, but it's actually through uh, the work that I did with the borderline entertainment that I got connected with Eve and everybody at take this. So they're phenomenal. And I, I have to, to plug them. I actually just got a chance to, um, the, to speak on take this talks, which happens um, over on their Twitch channel. So they, they're constantly putting out stuff uh, at a rate that is mind bending. So make sure you check out, take this. It's brilliant. And the month of May, of course, Mental Health Awareness Month, working to kind of reduce the stigmas uh, that kind of surround mental health all over the place. Again, quite coincidental that we were able to get Eve on the show in this month because she and I have been talking for uh, a couple months now trying to to find the right time for it. And so I'm just thrilled to have both of you here. Um, And as someone who quite openly uh, battles my own mental health issues, it's so appreciated to see the work that you guys are doing out there. to reduce those stigmas because they are real and they are difficult. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely are. Um, and to, and to, to bleed it into my work with borderline entertainment a little bit, um, little shameless plug, um, the, the, the two episodes of game chat, which is our flagship podcast at borderline entertainment, um, are are two episodes left, um, for game chat in may we have Jay Lynn from the games and harassment hotline, Mm -hmm. um, of, of which I also work with. Um, mm-hmm. and then Dr. B from take this is going to be uh, rounding out the month. So, um, we wanted to make sure to, to not only spread the work of the games and harassment hotline, um, and take this, but also, um, really lift up those voices that are working in the mental health field within the gaming industry. That's fantastic, man. I love, I love hearing and seeing that. And sometimes we in the gaming community get so caught up with the negatives and the difficulties yes. and the console wars. And that's, I find those things exhausting, but when you see initiatives like this mental health awareness, we saw things with social change with black lives matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly a lot of the concerns that are going over in Palestine are, are another yeah. factor that the gaming community is now seeming to wake up to in the best ways. I think um, I love when it's used as a force for good. I simply Absolutely. Do. And it's, it's, a it's interesting because I don't know if this is something that you have picked up on Luke, but like the more, um, that I am involved and intertwined in the gaming space, it's both, you feel both those positives and the negatives versus I feel like when you're on just the consumer side, uh, if you're not like enjoying the game, you just feel a lot of like the gripes. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That was just something that I always noticed. I just, you know, always hear people complaining about this or that, but when you're on the other side, you, you know, you get to talk to people who are making the games or talking about the games and we're just, you know, we're celebrating working hard together. It's interesting because in the, the past few weeks we've had Remy Ismail on the show. He talks a lot about what it meant to be uh, a a child growing up in the middle East uh, at various points. And then, you know, being Dutch Egyptian as well, uh, Mm -hmm. talking about what it felt like to work in a gaming industry outside of the mainstream countries that are traveled or traveled uh, to and from for gaming. Right. Uh, And it's been fascinating to watch him be so socially active in the past few weeks for social Mm -hmm. change. Uh, And then we've also been talking to developers on the show. And one of the things I often do is ask them, all right, well, did you like it? And like, are you happy with it? (laughs) And the answer is always an unfair, well, no, but yes, but no. Because like, how do you ask somebody to love their art? Oh, right, right. 
and hearing uh hearing people on both sides of both coverage and game making it's it's a reflective thing and i feel yeah. like our industry despite being very young continues to work to grow and uh oh, prioritize what's important and what's not i uh i'm i'm just i'm reflecting on those conversations i suppose that's what that was that moment of pause that you heard in the best ways <laughs> reflection is a very good thing and i think in the past year and a half we've had a lot of time to do uh, just that. Is there yeah. anything else, Asa, you want to share about Borderline Entertainment before we start getting to this week's news? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, it's you know, it's ironic you mentioned uh, Rami, but he was on my show. Like, we, it's interesting. We had uh, we worked with him like within the same week. I was like, no way, that's so awesome. Um, so um, we actually uh, recorded uh, with him for uh, Arab American Heritage Month. Um, like a couple weeks ago, but yeah. So I mean, like with borderline entertainment, like I said, we have our, our flagship show, which is game chat. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, it is not just me, even though I'm the one who talks about it a lot. Um, there's a lot of people that are working hard over there. Um, especially with like writing articles and things like that. Um, there are other like video projects that are going to be coming out from other people. So I want to make sure to, to lift them up. Um, but so we have streams that happen on Twitch, uh, videos that come up on, on YouTube, um, podcasts that go up on podcast services, borderline entertainment is everywhere that you are. Um, and it's, and it's ironic that you brought up like my, my streaming schedule didn't fit with your work schedule because currently my work schedule is not fitting with my streaming schedule. So like, I, I didn't, I wasn't able to, uh, to stream at all this week just because of, uh, work that I was doing like outside of my nine to five and outside of uh, borderline entertainment. Cause I also, like I said, I work with games harassment hotline I work with take this. Um, I work with waking Oni games. Um, so, so, you know, sometimes the, the content is there and sometimes it's not. So either way, we appreciate the follows and the support. Um, we always try to put out content as much as we can. Um, but yeah, that's a, uh, that's the elevator pitch right now. <laughs> Well, let's let's do this right at the top of the show while everyone's uh, with us through and through. Uh, yeah. Where should they be following you on your socials, Borderline and yourself uh, personally? Yes. So uh, to follow Borderline Entertainment, uh, go to YouTube.com slash Borderline Entertainment, Twitch.tv slash Borderline Entertainment. Um, you can also find the big old BLE, uh, which that's our, our little acronym there. Um, Borderline Entertainment is on all social media channels, so you can search and follow them there. Um, and if you want to follow me, you can follow me on Twitter at agreenriver07, um, where I'm talking about anything and everything from games to pizza to anime to my family, dogs, cats, kids, anything, all the above. But yeah, that's those are the best places to find me. Without a doubt, one of my favorite people to follow. And as our timeline can be very heavy, I'm so yeah. appreciative of the positivity you bring. So it's it's awesome. And I thank you. Uh, if if my word carries any weight to you, dear listener, uh, please give Asa some support because he is uh, the absolute man. Mr. Green River, how about we talk some Xbox news? Please, let's do it. All right, Asa, 20 years of Xbox is being celebrated. Pretty big year, all things considered. Uh, The original Xbox launched on November 15th, 2001. So we are gearing up for the 20th anniversary. Uh, Wild to think about that because in my mind, Xbox is is the rogue rebel uh, of the gaming (laughs) industry. I was a PlayStation guy early on. And in fact, I didn't get into Xbox myself until probably... uh, 
five years after it, the, the first one came out. I was early in, the, in 2006. Okay. Uh, so it's a 15 year anniversary for me. But 20 years of Xbox, man. Were you an early Xbox adopter? I was very much an early uh, Xbox adapter. So um, I, I wasn't able to afford a PS2 like when it came out. And mm-hmm. um, I remember seeing in magazines um, about this Xbox, Microsoft's big for, uh, soiree into the uh, into the gaming space. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wasn't able to. I remember going to like a release party in town at a GameStop, um, but I couldn't afford it at the time. I just went there to get like the napkins and the pizza and the Mountain Dew. Um, <laughs> but gamer I fuel. the the gamer fuel. Um, but I ended up saving up money, doing odd jobs. And I bought the Xbox myself. Um, I want to say like a f- six months to a year later. Mm-hmm. So um, pretty early on, you know, I played it at Walmart, played it at Target, wherever, like they had like the kiosks. Um, I hands down, I was so excited for the Xbox. Um, like you, I, w- you know, I was a big PlayStation guy going up to it, but I think not being able to, afford the ps2 and falling victim to the hype of the xbox i was sold and um yeah i just have the fondest memories um just from playing from my oxm magazines and getting those demos um mm-hmm. buying some of my first games fusion frenzy the parties hanging out with my my sisters and my family um to when i would get halo and i'd lug my xbox and my giant crt tv and my all my stuff to a friend's house and we'd hook all our stuff up together play halo in a basement like all night long um yeah i just i could go on and on about the memories that i have with xbox so i'm I'm console agnostic but i'm very much i bleed green my last name's green river so i mean it's fate right it is absolutely fate my friend and and i would argue that i'm the same way this show covers xbox i enjoy xbox as an ecosystem but i'm console agnostic as well you know i will i own and play as much as i can and it's important to do that i think yeah um you know, play what you enjoy and, and celebrate it without condemning uh, any other system for sure. It's funny though, because as I look back at the original Xbox, I have this sense of nostalgia that I is perhaps undeserved because I was a Dreamcast kid, and in many <laughs> ways, Xbox is Dreamcast too. Oh, yes, right. Yes. Like, and it's it's just funny. And when I got into <laughs> Xbox 360, uh, some of the games were back and pat, but also I, I played a lot of Xbox in the dorms. Yeah, uh, when I was in college, and so that's a, that gives you an idea of kind of where I was timeline wise. I was in, I started college in two thousand four, so uh, people were playing Xbox, okay. getting set for three hundred and sixty, as oh it were. Gosh, you look so good for your age. Thank you, thank you. That's what I tell everyone uh, for sure. But it's not fun being carded uh, if I go to a store <laughs> and I want to get my wife a b- bottle of wine or something. Right. You know, he's carding. It's like, ah, oh, all right. <laughs> oh man. Uh, but that's that's great. I'm I'm thrilled by this idea of a 20 year celebration. And right now, Microsoft is rolling out uh, several things to try and celebrate the system from mm-hmm. from now until uh, you know the actual anniversary in November. They, they launched some some wallpapers that are really high res and looking great. Yeah, uh, traversing the Halo timeline. They've got special gear up uh, for members of, of Xbox Fan Fest, and you guys can sign up for that right now if you're if you're listening. Uh, you can always register for that. They've got all types of little things planned here and there. And I'm mm-hmm. excited to see what happens there because FanFest kind of fell flat last year. Yeah, uh, and I know Malik and the team did. worked so hard to try to make it work in a year that it it, it was like getting <laughs> as many, many things as they managed last year was incredible. And I'm so proud of them. But I know FanFest fell a little bit short for them. And so they're trying to to rectify that. Um I am curious to know kind of what happens around E3 time, what they do 
to the anniversary, if there's going to be a special editions mm-hmm. of consoles. I mean, if that's even a thing they can do right now, given shortages, right. whatever it is, I want to know what sort of collector stuff they've got, because I will absolutely uh, find somewhere to put some collector's item for a 20 year celebration for sure. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you know, I think we, we already have hints right now uh, with, with them releasing that special dynamic theme for the mm-hmm. Xbox Series X and S, which I have to throw it out there. I'm not being dramatic or making this up. I legitimately started tearing up um, with like joy just seeing that in the background. I wish that there were like the little weird bleeps and bloops and like weird things because, you know, like they recorded like mm-hmm. these sound bits from outer space and that was like the background noise of the original Xbox. Right. Um, but just to see it, I just was hit in the gut with with the nostalgia and the feels from way back when. And I think it's it's something that people like don't think about too much when it comes to Xbox, when it comes to their history. You know, everybody knows that um, PlayStation and especially Nintendo have a rich history and a long past in the gaming industry. Mm-hmm. But we're now into the fourth console generation with Xbox. So there is a lineage there now. 20 years is nothing to like wag your finger at. So I am hoping so much that there that there is this special anniversary gear that's going to be coming out. I hope Xbox goes freaking big. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it's so ironic that you brought up like that. It felt like a Sega system at the beginning because I totally felt the same way. Um, in like 2001, I think I was like 13 or something like that. Um, oh. I, hey, I'm 32. Oh, no. I'm 32, which is like I'm not I'm no spring chicken, but. Uh, you know, I was I was in middle school in when the when the Xbox came out, um, and yes, I was too. No, I was in high school. Okay, all right, yeah, that's a, okay. Got it. All right, it's all right, all right. A, see, it's not too far. It's we're, not we're too good. far. You're right. But like, I I'm I was not a dumb kid. I, I was I was a smart kid, but I still did not like put like I couldn't put two and two together. For me, I thought that the Xbox was the next Dreamcast. Like when you looked at the the controller, the way it was shaped, the color of the buttons, all of the Sega games. Um, I bring that up because Sega just recently announced that like that they're looking at possibly rebooting some of their big hits that uh, released with the Xbox, like when the Xbox came out. So I'm like, mm. Can, oh. can those two things work together? Can we get like these, you know, can we get Jet Set back? You know, can we get uh, Power Stone back? Can we get uh, Crazy Taxi and like all these other big Sega games? Um, and then alongside this retro Xbox release cadence for the year, they would have a cash cow. They already have cash cow with Game Pass, but this would just be a whole nother facet of amazing xboxness or you know what just come out with a xbox classic and make a classic console are you kidding me i'd buy it i don't know if i'd use it but i'd buy it oh i would use it are you kidding me oh my gosh i still have all my my old xbox controllers let me plug those in let me let me plug in my dukes and go to town you're getting me excited i have the hyperkin duke uh for display and i love that thing i don't love that thing Oh, really? Do you really? Oh, man, it's 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 great. But I'll tell you this, man, uh, I I'm getting excited by by what you're you're pitching to me. And that idea of a classic, it would look great on the shelf. I would love yes. to have one um, to this day. I don't own an original Xbox and I never have. And I've always kind of wanted one oh. uh, for sure. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sincerely jealous of uh, Snowbike Mike's uh, who DM me back Snowbike. I'm trying to get back with you, um, but I'm trying to <laughs> I love this. He has this green Mountain Dew one that is so cool looking. So is it the cool. Mountain Dew one or is it the the Halo one? 
I think I it's a remember. Mountain Dew one. It's like a very unique special edition. It's very bright. Now, I know the green Halo one that you're talking about. is the translucent uh, one. The Mountain Dew is the solid green one. Right. Now, you yeah. Me. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. You know, so, so this accidentally bleeds into our question with uh, Captain Logan, who wrote in, and he's essentially wondering, as of Xbox being 20 years old, is it – can we, as the old people in the room, call mm-hmm. it retro? Can we get call it a retro system? I think we can officially call that generation of consoles retro. Oh, um, that hurts me so much. To it think does. That. It does hurt. But like when you look at, but I think to n- not trying to in- insinuate what Captain Logan's getting at here with like the term retro, I feel like too often retro is like reserved for the 8-bit and 16-bit, but really it's just a passage of time. Mm-hmm. So 20 years, like I, I'm sorry, but that's it's retro now. You're right. You're it right. is. It You're is. That means point. the PS2 and the GameCube are as well. All right. So let's let's finish. Oh, yeah, man. I like this reflective time. Kind yeah. of. Kind of. Now my back hurts when I eat pizza. So I'm getting really old. Oh, man. So. All right. Let's let's throw, throw out any favorite games that you would like to see make a return Sega or otherwise. Uh, that you would like to see come back. Everybody says Crimson Skies, and I'll call that two. I would, I would also like that one. Yeah, I yeah. feel like Crimson Skies, um, that's a given. That's such a great one. Um, I would say KOTOR, but we know that KOTOR is coming back. Mm-hmm. Um, Jade Empire would be fantastic to get back. Blinks the Cat would be magnificent. Um, Project Gotham Racing would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I'm still shocked by the way they don't do that inside of Forza Horizon. Right. Um, I know I I missed the kudos. I missed the kudos. Um, I'm really bummed that the phantom dust sequel, like the, the new game got shelved. I would love to see that come back because phantom dust was one of my favorites. Mm -hmm. Um, oh man, bring back breakdown. Such a unique game. I would love to see that get like remade or, I mean, I, you can play it now with backwards compatibility, but give me a new one. Breakdown. Um, Breakdown. Do I not know? I don't think I know Breakdown. I'm going to have to pull that one. It was I like see a, it. I see the cover. Yeah, it was like a first person adventure, not adventure game, action game, um, very melee focused. It, I think the only comparison that I could draw to now that maybe you could get the feel of minus the parkour would be Mirror's Edge. Interesting. Okay. All right. So yeah. Breakdown something to look forward to then. All right. I'll check yeah. that one out. In Fusion that. Frenzy. I think Fusion Frenzy like... Bring back the the OG party game on Xbox. It needs to live again. Two wasn't bad, but one was like cream of the crop. So absolutely, I, I want that back. Um, I could just keep listing Xbox titles all day long, um, but I think those are like some of the you have to have them games. Absolutely. That, that aren't still uh, alive today. You took a lot of the ones that I would have said as well, and that's a great list. And and really and truly, the last thing I'll say on this topic is uh, thanks to the Back Compat team, we're able to relive a lot of the old retro memories, as it were, yes. uh, in, in some great ways. So I will consistently throw a shout out to that program because I, I always play old games. I don't are you, in, do you I boot them up, and I don't even think of them as old games. I just think game. Like yeah. it happens to be 360, OG, One, uh, Series X, whatever. I just play. Yeah. Uh, absolutely. I consistently have the problem that I've I've got so many games that I need to play. Um, but currently my my PS3 and my GameCube are are plugged into my TV in my room. Mm. Um, and so that's like uh, where I'm, I'm playing some some games there that I've you know I've played too many times. Like I don't need to I need to go back and 
and finish like Pokemon Snap or I need to play Resident Evil 8 or um, Returnal, like so many other games. But I always find myself just going back to oldies like all the time. Nothing wrong with that. And you can never play too much Rogue Rogue Squadron ever. Right? Right? All righty, guys. In in the next topic, we are talking Psychonauts and several other Game Pass titles making their debut into the program. Uh, Psychonauts is the big one. Ace, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people are talking shop with that one, but Final Fantasy X and X2 uh, made it. Just Cause 4 Reloaded, which, side note, guys, wherever you're playing Just Cause, it's absolute mayhem. There's a lot of fun to be had <laughs> in that game. So if you need a good summer game to just blow some stuff up and see some yeah. crazy things, that's a good one. Uh, and and moreover, Red Dead Online is launching in for fans of, of that or interested. Are you a Red Dead Online guy? I do. I do really like the Red Dead Online. When I booted up uh, Red Dead Two for the first time, I I really didn't play the story. I played the story for a little bit, like I did the whole thing walking through the snow and and fighting the wolves, and then I immediately went into Red Dead Online, and that's where I've spent all my time. So the fact that I can delete that entire game file and just have the online portion that's i'm the same way with gta 5 so that's That's awesome i'm real pumped for that that is absolutely awesome i've talked about it before but red dead 2 is a gaming gap for me i didn't have the patience to even start it up given what people were saying despite red dead 1 being one of my favorite games of all time uh and i've been sitting on it as a potential to check out at some point this summer looks like it's going to be Mass Effect with another gaming gap for me. I have it loaded on my system. I have the helmet mm-hmm. downstairs. Uh, oh, finishing jealous. up Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Like I'm, nice. I've got my summer games ready to go. That and Bio Mutant. I'm gonna be uh, playing oh, yeah. th- through the course of my summer break. But uh, Red Dead Two is it's teasing me there. Ains from Season Gaming is is pushing me in the direction to try it out. <laughs> you absolutely should. You know, and if you wanna if you wanna play Red Dead Online, which almost like has its it has its own story which is wild to see like um, Red Dead Online is not just like a regular multiplayer experience. So mm-hmm. if you want to get into the Red Dead Online, give me a reason to get back into it and I will absolutely traipse through the Wild West with you. Oh, Asa, don't make that promise. I, I'm already living in Sea of Thieves uh, <laughs> and playing Fortnite. Those are my two evergreen games right now. And Titanfall yeah. 2 is making its way back in there to just play every night. If I add another big one, Oh no. Oof. You're tempting me. You're tempting me. It's you and Ains now are just sitting on my shoulder talking Red Dead to me. I'll tempt uh, you once once more. Get Marvel's Avengers. I need I more haven't. Xbox people to play with me. All right. Now I now I'll tell you, so I have Avengers and that thing is sitting there until Wakanda comes out because I'm very bored with the enemy types. I love flying around as uh, Iron Man. Yeah, yeah. The- but I'm Enemy types get old, but we got to get max level for Wakanda when it comes out. And the Red Room stuff is happening right now. So think about it. Just uh, think about it. It's sitting on my external hard drive, <laughs> and I can easily shift it over. Yes, you could. I can be could. persuaded. Uh, mm, okay. So, all right. All right. You got to stop <laughs> teasing me here. Um, the other big Game Pass news that sort of came out in this past week was that the new Dra- Dungeons & Dragons game would be launching day one into Game Pass. And F- I got to yeah. say, as you're talking about Red Dead, and I'm thinking about the community that could now enter into that Red Dead online world, and I'm seeing mm-hmm. games like Outriders launch so successfully into to Game Pass and, and thrive. And I loved it for the 30 hours I played it. I know it's having some issues right now, but okay. I loved that 30 hours that I, I had with it. I'm thinking this might be the exact 
type of service to let a game like Dungeons and Dragons Dark Alliance live in, in yeah. a better way. Oh, for sure. Have you ever played the Dark Alliance games? No, I know nothing about it. This is this is a game that I never would consider even trying, save the fact that it's coming to Game Pass. Okay, uh, phenomenal. Uh, it's you know uh, another Diablo clone um, mm-hmm. in my eyes, basically. Um, I played Dark Alliance one and two um, with my two younger sisters. Um, we had a this like one summer. It was like the summer to always remember. We always talk about where we oh. just played a ton of um, a ton of like couch co-op games. So like we played Castle Crashers. We played Dark Alliance one and two. Um, ugh, crap. There, there was a few others that we went through, but I love the Dark Alliance games. I didn't know that they were D&D back then because I mm-hmm. hadn't played when I was uh, at, at that age. Mm-hmm. Um, but I absolutely, I cannot wait to go back to dark Alliance, especially now playing. I've played so much dungeons and dragons. I can't wait to see like the, the characters and areas that I would recognize both from the tabletop and back when I played it back in the day. So yeah, I think that it is a great idea to put it day one in game pass. Cause it's one of those things that is pretty niche. Like I feel like, you know, unless you have played it before or you love isometric uh, RPGs. Like it's probably not going to be the thing that's going to pull in a ton of people. Mm-hmm. Um, but game pass is like the easy passage to get people to like, you know, what? I'll try it. Like that mentality is the game pass mentality, which is going to be perfect for that game. You couldn't have said it better. And as I look at gameplay of this, this looks like a game I would absolutely love playing with my buddies. Dude, it's love so playing good. With my buddies. So good. Cause I, I, in real talk, I love playing Sea of Thieves. I love playing Avengers with my friends. Yeah. Uh, I love playing these DC Universe online. I even absolutely love playing. And watching this, I feel like it's, it's, it's that Outriders third person action just set in fantasy mm-hmm. uh, type games. And I don't know if it is, is Dark Alliance a looter type game or is it just a full RPG? Um, it, it does have looter elements. Um, you know, it is the, the early days of looter where, you know, like looter shooter things or games weren't necessarily there. Those were reserved mm-hmm. for, you know, RPGs like Diablo and such. Um, but you, you know, you do get your special gear. Um, I would say you have to really like high fantasy or you're just having fun with your friends um, to get into the loop because it's not like a, a destiny or, you know, or I've, I've seen the guns from, I couldn't get into outriders personally. I'm hoping mm-hmm. that that'll change someday. Um, Cause the weapons look dope. Um, yeah. But I, I say that, say that that's, <laughs> that's not the case for dark Alliance. Like you're not going to see a sword that is like this giant broadsword made of bone that has flames coming around it and souls that, Exp- you expunge souls when you when you kill enemies um it's just going to be like it's got a cool high fantasy name and some decent effects and that's about it <laughs> dude I, I love it and without a doubt i'm trying this game like i'm watching the gameplay this is a game i'm 100 going to try uh and oh, yeah. that's i think the nice safety net that comes with game pass and every xbox show with game pass game pass game pass but man really and truly it's just home to so many great experiences and that comfortable safety net if it's not for you you can move on and keep going yeah yeah so. it, it definitely is sweet I'm, I'm stoked for that one and looking forward to it um for all my notes that i took and, and looked up i didn't actually pull the, the release date uh of that game but i'm, I'm i think it's in june like it's quick yeah it's quick. it is really june quick. 22nd yep june yeah. 22nd so man oh all just gosh. a month away just a month away excellent stuff man Dude, you're gonna throw a brick at me uh-oh. You want to know what I'm thinking about right now? What are you thinking about? This entire time I was thinking about Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. You were thinking about Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance. I was thinking, I was literally thinking, I was like, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. 
Dungeons and Dragons Dark Alliance. Whoops, wrong one. Um, but, but no, see, I didn't catch it because as I'm watching, I'm watching gameplay of it as you were talking. That high fantasy and all that is still there. Well, yeah, it's 100 and, and still there. Baldur's Gate is still within the D and D universe, so mm-hmm. like everything is is still going. <laughs> it's still going to make sense. But I feel like the one thing that doesn't carry over is the isometric view. So if you're listening and you're like, "This Asa guy has no idea what he's talking about." I was thinking of Baldur's Gate Dark Alliance and Dark Alliance 2, um, which tangentially are related to this because it is the D&D universe and it is still Dark Alliance. It's just like a, a different version of it. So this game still looks dope. Um, I want to throw in the asterisks that I'm in like the creators program for this game. Um, oh, cool. Okay. So uh, I, I'm, I am super excited about that, which makes me even more embarrassed that the guy the game's mixed up. Um, but yeah, still super pumped for this. Let's play it. The Outriders connection makes more sense in my brain now. My apologies. Now, no, you're great, man. You're great. And uh, two games named Dark Alliance. I do the exact. Well, Battlefield has been teasing some news in this past week ahead of an investor call. Their socials kind of peaked up, as it were. Uh, the official Battlefield account said they'd be having uh, news to come this June, and Microsoft's Xbox account responded to their tweet uh, saying that they would uh, have room on their hard drives. Now, here's the thing. They were playing fast and loose with uh, the word rhyme in these tweets, and I got to say, it, mm-hmm. as the English teacher, it irked me soon and boom. Do not rhyme. Soon rhymes with June. Sure. <laughs> and then, then of course, Battlefield getting cheeky, responding to Xbox, saying that they would spoon in a room together. And that's weird. Yeah. But for them to be so uh, lovey-dovey there on, on the social certainly suggests that there's going to be uh, another carryover of marketing with Battlefield and Xbox. A lot of people are uh, can making the connection that it could be Game Pass. And, and I know I've speculated on this show that it would be a fantastic win for both EA and Xbox, if Battlefield oh, yeah. 6 launched into Game Pass. It's it's long since proven that it does not damage sales to a game uh, when it launches into a service. And I love the idea, Asa, of Battlefield 6. Uh, we're getting the news on it, you know, at uh, EA Play, likely mid to late June. And then the idea that it would could potentially launch into Game Pass alongside, in, in the same quarter as Halo Infinite celebrating 20 years of Xbox. We know that EA has partnered with Xbox before on previous Battlefield games. I feel like that would be a win all around, but acknowledging and understanding that this is an Xbox show and I certainly like to cover Xbox, <laughs> it would benefit me greatly, right? Uh, to say the least. Is it is it likely we see this coming to Game Pass? Are you excited about the next Battlefield? There's a lot of ways to take this conversation. Take it out. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think it's it's possible. That battle this next battlefield could show up on game pass i mean ea the ea play in a integration is there mm-hmm. um so that relationship is there already so um that kind of paves the way um also i think battlefield is in a it's in a unique spot mm-hmm. um i've i feel like you know battlefield one battlefield five they were great games um but when it comes to their area of comp like their competition um i don't feel like battlefield is the king that it used to be you remember, like, Other it used that. to just be, like, Call of Duty and Battlefield. Yeah. Um, and, like, those and were the were big one ones that were the other. Yeah, you, you were, were you were either or one or the other. Um, I was secretly both. I didn't tell anybody because I didn't want the, the toxicity to hit me. Um, but, I mean, you know, now you've got um, 
you've got Rainbow Six Siege, you know, that's still carrying on. You've got, of course, Call of Duty with Warzone. Um, you've got Battle Royales, period. Like I know that Battlefield Five um had the like Firestorm or something or other like that. That was their um battle royale, but like it felt like Battlefield was trying to play catch up. So I feel like they have to come in big. Um mm-hmm. And I feel like Game Pass is just one of those things that would help them come in big and give them the boost that they need. Um, Because that's one thing that Call of Duty doesn't have. Like Warzone is free, but that's the only thing that's free. Everything else you have to pay for. So if you could get a game of this magnitude, um, that is that kind of competitor to what's out there, that would be so huge. And that would get me so excited, especially if it was Bad Company 3. But that's neither here nor there. (laughs) Oh, right on board with with all of the sentiments you're having there. Oh, man, right. Company 3 would be lovely. But uh, to say nothing else, I think you're absolutely right. Firestorm didn't deliver. It felt like they were playing catch up. Yeah. I really liked Battlefield, both 1 and 5, uh, though it took me a little while to, to come around on Battlefield 1. But I liked Battlefield 5 a lot. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm anxious to see the new settings and locales. I believe it's near future. Uh, which is interesting. Great. I believe that's the case. Please don't quote me on that uh, particular aspect of it, but launching into game pass would do a a wonderful combatant to the free to play elements of call of duty. Yeah. Uh, And to say nothing else, call of, uh, pardon me, battlefield has always been an absolute looker that frostbite engine gets a lot of flack deservedly. So in, in the cases of Anthem and Andromeda, but, uh, it's a looker when it comes to first person. And I, we did get confirmation by the way, that this next battlefield will be launching on last gen. That is to say Xbox one and PlayStation four, as well as PlayStation five and series SX. Uh, A lot of people upset about that. I can't say I'm overly thrilled by it, but I'm certainly not disappointed. Too many people have been locked out of next gen or now current gen uh, Mm -hmm. because of supply shortages. And I want more people playing games. And if anything, the Xbox mentality going forward has very much been that play where you want with who you want, however you like. And, you know, if you're playing, if it launches into Game Pass Ultimate, imagine, and EA plays is a part of that. Imagine, you know, booting it up on xCloud and suddenly you're playing the latest Battlefield with your buddies. Yeah. That's that's exactly what I want. And I don't really care what system anyone's playing on. So here's hoping uh, that Battlefield 6 does launch into Game Pass because I think it would benefit all involved. Uh, and I'm anxious to see where they go with it, for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely, definitely. I, I think, uh, you know, I, I don't mind it too much coming to older platforms, at least on the Xbox side, because smart delivery is like a gift from the heavens. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it works beautifully. Um, I can't say that for, for certain. On the PlayStation side, I've had some issues porting and stuff to my PS5, and it's been kind of frustrating. But um, with it being so seamless, I I, I'm not, I, I mean, I, I get the argument that, that people have there, but I don't think it's it's too bad of a thing. I'm with you. I want everybody to be able to have a chance to play. With the Battlefield news coming out and a lot of people kind of swirling around that, the Coalition was not immune to the same types of hype trains that seem to roll around. And the rumor mill does just what it does when, when people get excited about something. Uh, it was announced by the Coalition, the developer of Gears of War, uh, in its current state is now going to be making the jump over to Unreal Engine 5. Of course, Gears 4 and 5 were made uh, in Unreal Engine 4. And to say nothing else, anybody that's working on Gears, uh, whether it was Epic back in the day, of course, and now the Coalition, mm-hmm. you got to know Unreal Engine. You got to know it and you got to be great at it. Uh, and it looks like the Coalition is shifting their multiple projects that they have in development to Unreal Engine 5. And uh, 
I'm I'm thrilled by that news. I know they're going to be supporting Gears Five uh, going forward. I still love Gears Five. I haven't booted up uh, for Operation Seven, uh, but I'm looking forward to seeing what they do with Seven and Eight. I, I think yeah. Gears Five is just fantastic, uh, but it's time to move on from that engine and, and really see what they can do. I'm sure gear six is in development though. I hope it's not for a bit. I'd like to see some time <laughs> to breathe there. Uh, and I want to know what the coalition can do with their multiple projects. Jeff Grubb made everybody all out of sorts when he mentioned they could be working on a, a new IP or star Wars game. Jeez, <laughs> yeah. The coalition came out and said, uh, they came out and said like, we, they're, we're not working on any such game. Um, who knows what really and truly like, I don't know. And I don't, <laughs> I don't care to even really speculate until we get some, some real news right now. Right. We know there's massive entertainment at Ubisoft making a star Wars game, but you know, it, sure. Sure. I, that and fallen order too, I think are all we really know as far as star Wars. Right. But, uh, yeah. You know, I'm, I'm stoked to see what coalition can do. I want them working on multiple projects outside of gears. The same can be said for three, four, three, once they get infinite out the door, I yeah. think diversity in a team is healthy and having a primary focus is also healthy. I think I really want to see three, four, three keep with halo, same with gears and coalition, but you know, flex a little bit, right? Yeah, definitely. I, you know, that's one thing that I've always kind of worried about those two studios um, seemingly being formed centered around an IP um, like when, when I think about back in the day when, when Bungie was a part of Microsoft, essentially when they were making Halo, you know, like they wanted to make other games, but Microsoft wanted more Halo. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now that we have these two new studios that are centered around gears and Halo, I'm hoping that they get an opportunity to make something of their own. Um, not that they're going to make poor gears games or poor Halo games. I know that they're going to put all of themselves into them, but I know that they have to have some original ideas out there, and I hope that they get a chance to uh, to flex those muscles too. Same, same, absolutely agree with you. And I and I always feared the Activision effect, where all the Activision yeah. was once this very diverse portfolio, and I genuinely liked a lot of the games in that portfolio. And it seems now that it's pretty much a Call of Duty publisher, and mm-hmm. that, that that scares me a little bit. I know we had news a few weeks ago of Toys for Bob uh, being shuttered into to being supporting other other games or whatnot if it was toys for bob whoever was making crash uh being supporting for call of duty and while i get there's 120 like million players playing warzone cool and that's awesome it's a great game but i don't want to see the creativity of a studio be shut down uh for something that's just mainstream i think that diversity is the key to everything uh in and outside of development yeah Uh, Let's see. What else do we have there? Oh, Jeff Grubb also decided to make waves when he said that Starfield would be an exclusive Xbox and PC title. Uh, No confirmation on that, though. Lots of sites are running that story saying that Jeff Grubb, uh, with his history of mostly correct leaks, uh, is going to be a confirmed thing. I would imagine, Asa, that if Starfield is exclusive, we are going to hear about it at this year's E3. I think that's the right time to share that information. We know Xbox and Bethesda are doing a joint thing, right? Uh, or tangentially joint thing. Uh, that's the right time to find that out officially. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Um, it's been too long since we've had any Starfield news. Like we need an update on that game. And and honestly, like I've been preaching this no matter where I've been at. Uh, Xbox needs exclusives. Mm-hmm. It does. Um, you know they have a great business plan, but it's still about the games. And you can't have a major acquisition like Bethesda and not get something juicy out of it. Um, and I feel like that has to be Starfield because they're not going to do it to Fallout. They're not going to do it to uh, to Elder Scrolls because they're 
they're too big. Um, but Starfield is a new IP, and so I think is the the perfect thing to 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 be an exclusive to the Xbox family of consoles, including PC. Certainly, and for my money, uh, I'm thinking Starfield will be exclusive as well. Yeah, and I Elder so. Scrolls Six. I don't know about that one. I don't know. If, I think they watch how Starfield is received. I could see it that, timed, but I don't think they would ever just keep it on Xbox. I think that would be a little a little too tough to to get. Over. I don't know that I agree with you. Really? I don't know that I would have disagreed with you a year ago, but seeing the rollout of Game Pass, the, the adoption rate, the fact that they're on yeah. course for thirty million, and the value of XCloud going forward, um, plus the recent news—I mean, this is—they would not react one to one. But we got recent news that that Sony is gonna has roughly like 24, 25 IPs that they're working on. Half of the new, new. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's great news. First of all, that's fantastic. I'm thrilled by that, particularly given Sony's success rate. Yeah. Uh, in, in this last generation. But if I'm Microsoft, I'm evaluating that deal closely. And certainly they had that information before we did. Uh, yeah. At least I would, I would think so. Uh, nonetheless, as far as Starfield goes, I'm so, I understand completely why people are so invested and interested in it. I do not understand why everyone is so diehard on it because we have no clue <laughs> None. what the game is. People need to calm down. We don't even know what the game is. Aside right. that it's Space Skyrim. Right. And I want third person action. I always want third person action when I don't know better. Right. Yeah. Unless somebody can, you know, put the game in front of me and prove to me why, why first person's better. I'm typically going to lean towards third person action, but we have no clue what this game is. We also just had in this last, in the last 365 days, the release of Cyberpunk 2077. A long touted, yep. long awaited, very hyped up game that nobody had proper hands on with the console versions until it was too late. So mm -hmm. I want proof that Starfield's going to be a banger before I'm going to lay down on a hill for it, uh, for sure. Uh, let's see here. Shifting into uh, other gears real quick. Last week, Asa, I talked to listeners about how impressed I was with FPS Boost, and I talked about how it's a point of luxury to get to enjoy FPS Boost. As much touted as that feature is, you have to have the right kind of display, and a game mm -hmm. has to be enabled for it. So it's a point of luxury that I spoke on it. Uh, and this past week, another much touted Xbox feature in quick resume was one that I found myself benefiting from. And to be clear, these weren't things that I was all in on when the system launched. I was always like, cool, next gen features. But this past week, just by way of stress at work, and I think I've alluded to that on previous episodes as well, you know, works a mess right now. And yep. As a result, I'm coming home and I want to play games, but I'm tired. But I'm and I'm I've got energy to play, but I don't want to boot up. Uh, I really I had a chance to boot up Mass Effect. I held off. I want to be focused for that game. I'm playing Resident Evil, but I want, you got to be in the right mood to play a horror action horror game. Right. Uh, and so I've been bouncing between games, <clears throat> and as a result, I'm going in and out of games like Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Resident Evil, uh, games games like uh, Titanfall or Red Out or Sea of Thieves, and Quick Resume has been fantastic for that. And I didn't appreciate it until this past week. Uh, and there have been any Xbox features for you that have stood out? Is Quick Resume one that you've noticed uh, in your experiences? Talk to me. Yeah, those two features um, have been like the the system sellers for me. Like really? I, got, I got the PS5 first. Um, and so at the time it was the um, fidelity and performance mode that I was like, Whoa, this is next gen. I love it. I mm -hmm. still love the haptic feedback in the um, in the DualSense controllers, mm -hmm. but 
that quick result. It's the quality of quality of life improvements that yeah. FPS FPS boost and quick resume bring that I I want them like there's a a version of FPS boost on PS5 but it's not the way that it is on Xbox. Um it's it, just like with smart delivery like that's another thing. Um those those three things have been what has caused me to to be playing mainly on my Series X the past month. Um it's been incredible. The one thing that I will say though about quick resume um, that is kind of a bummer and I, it's not really quick resumes fault. Um, so I, you know, I've been bouncing between, uh, ghost recon breakpoint, um, Marvel's Avengers, Titanfall, um, and a Fortnite and a few other games. And the two things that I've run into are particularly with Marvel's Avengers and, and ghost recon is that those are like their live service games. So they're like connected to the internet. And so like, I guess the, the biggest, the biggest issue is going to be with, with ghost recon. But like, if I'm in the middle of something and I have to stop and go do something else and I come back into the game, if I don't come back in a timely manner, Mm -hmm. it disconnects from the server that it's connected to for that gameplay session. Mm -hmm. Um, so it still boots right back up where I was. Um, but depending again on that duration, I'm kicked out to the menu as soon as I get in there, um, because the, the server dropped. So again, that's, that's nothing on quick resumes fault. Um, but it is just kind of a a stinker because like, I'm totally like with you, like sometimes I'm so completely drained and being able to just like jump back into something. I need that quickness, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because those seconds as they count down, I lose the ability to have brain capacity to play any games. Um, so yeah, those have been magnificent. That FPS boost has, I can't even like, it's blown my mind. I've been right. playing so many games that have not been that have not come out, you know, within the past six months, just mm-hmm. because they look and feel so good just because of that FPS boost. It's incredible. It, it is incredible. And I look forward to as as 120 hertz TVs and monitors make it out to more people, more yeah. people getting to experience this, because I feel like in this case, I'm the early adopter on something. Uh, and it's usually the other way around. Usually I'm, I'm late to the game uh, yeah. to, to different things. And so I'm anxious to find more people that uh, get to see games that are taking advantage of it and see the new life. And really and truly, it's it's a matter of playing a game in a way that you remember it being, right? Like if I mm-hmm. would, went back and played non-FPS boosted titles from back in the day uh, or whenever they came out, I suppose, the way that I remember them won't be how they feel now. Yeah. As time has gone on, FPS <clears throat> seems to extend that life in, in a great way. And to listeners who think that they're not that big of a deal, um, once you eventually get a new console, if you don't have one and you get the TV and you get everything that you need to do to use it, um, just talking specifically about Ghost Recon, because it was an older game that really takes advantage of the FPS boost. Um, playing that on my Series X. And then, you know, all right, it's, uh, it's late. You know, I'm, I leave the living room, go to my bedroom, but I'm like, you know what? I'm still not tired. I'm going to pick it back up. So my Xbox one is in the room and I mm-hmm. plug that in and I, I continue the, the gameplay session there. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I almost can't it handle it. It hurts. Yeah, It hurts visually. Um, the time that it takes to load, I'm like, I can't do this guys. This is rough. So, uh, you, it it really is. I can't state enough just how game changing it is. 
Uh, Asa, I have been playing Resident Evil. I think I mentioned that a few moments ago. Uh, I did get a review code. I need to say that to the listeners. However, I will say that I have been playing it slowly, and I have very good impressions of it. It's very it's it's beautiful that re engine is incredible and again i'm I maybe two hours three three hours in i would say three hours in um the re engine is just continuously stunning it really sh- shines uh in this new biome biome versus the the house in resident evil 7 mm-hmm. however in mentioning resident evil 7 i liked that game more than i'm liking re really? right now i i really did like re7 mm-hmm. more at where i'm at at this point in village and I was way more scared by Seven than I am in this this RE Village, which is this weird hybrid of I'm not sure if I'm supposed to be a tough guy or not. Uh, I'm not sure <laughs> if I'm supposed to be powerful or running away from everything. Because in Seven, you run away from everything. Right. Uh, and in Eight, it's a lot more arcadey in some places, uh, similar to Resident Evil 4. Now, in saying that, I think I accidentally put out the vibe that I'm not liking the game. And that's not true at all. I'm liking it a lot. It's just that I think seven was the peak at this point in the game at this point. And I will reserve judge final judgment until I've, I've put more time in. Uh, but I'm, I'm high on this one and I would recommend it to anybody that's wait, debating $60, $70 purchase. Um, yeah. you, earlier you said you hadn't picked it up yet. Is this one you're looking forward to? Or are you holding off? Is Resident Evil your thing? I'm, I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, but here's, here's my thing. I, I love the Resident Evil series. One is my favorite. Um, I have a very fondness for one. Um, I, my, I do have a couple of questions and I'll get to those cause I'm very mm-hmm. curious. Um, sure. um, but I didn't, I didn't complete seven and I know that you play as the same, same protagonist, mm-hmm. um, Ethan, but Ethan seven, Winters. seven was so scary and I wasn't a huge fan of the shift to first person that. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I still own it. I still want to go back and play it, but it just doesn't vibe with me right now. And, but everything that I've seen of eight and I've watched a lot of, you know, breakdowns and interviews and blah, blah, whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm, ex- I'm hyped. I'm excited for eight, but I feel like I have to go back and play seven first so I can understand the story. Like, even though the, the story is bonkers bananas in the resident evil universe, I adore it. Um, and so that's my first question as someone who has played seven and you're going into eight, do you feel like I have to, to finish seven, to have any resemblance of understanding of what's happening? Cause I, f- I feel like I do. There, there is a recap at the beginning of oh, RE8 okay. that'll get you in and get you going. Um, I think you should finish seven because it's a great and fantastic game. And uh, that's, that's how I feel about seven. Yeah. Now, if you are too scared by it, uh, or it's not your, your thing, I don't mean that in a shallow way, but you I'm should enjoy baby. your time with a yeah, you should enjoy your time playing a game and nobody listening should should and, and you as well. If it's not for you, don't force yourself to it through it, really and truly. Um, you can put you can go with the recap and you will not be nearly as terrified, at least not in my time with it so far. Okay. As as seven. Like in seven, I was immediately uneasy uneasy. Mm-hmm. That that bayou dark darkness of the of the house and, and yeah how vulnerable i felt consistently uh was there the entire time in seven in eight it's not the same it things are better lit things yeah. are, are are also darker in certain spots but it, it's you heal in a way that is more forgiving i think okay um and i'm trying to dance around a few things but 
uh, I don't feel nearly as vulnerable as I did in seven and, and I get more RE four vibes from it. And I like that. I think then you would, you would like this one as well. I'm still perturbed that headshots don't seem to matter. Um, and I'm, I Ooh, run into that okay. problem, but they did. They rarely do in resident evil. They rarely do. Uh, and I think I'm spoiled from other games than that are zombie, like you know, state of decay or world war Z. Yeah. So I, I don't think you would be upset to start a recap. Uh, and, and just move into village because you're you'll be getting a great game like you are getting a 70 uh, 60 70 dollar game depending on the ecosystem you're a part of uh, and you will enjoy it and be happy with it and the the length it takes to to complete it i like you know i've heard that people are clocking in at like 10 to 12 hours mm-hmm. um and that makes me feel so i don't understand i i think it was ign that like recently put this out they're like hey here are the average times it takes to beat all the re games and they said six hours for RE1. Now, I've played that game so many times now that I can move through it pretty quickly, but mm-hmm. I cannot beat that sucker in six hours. So they, it must be Mark Medina like speed running that crap <laughs> to, to, to get it down that low. Um, but, I mean, do you feel pacing-wise like that? Because I know that you also, you know, you've got a, a busy mm-hmm. schedule. You know, you've got a heavy load. Is this a game that you feel like you're, you're, you're getting your time's worth, you know, do you, or do you feel like, Oh my gosh, there's just so much that I have to do um, that I'm just not able to, to sink time into it. And it just kind of feels like, you know, cause it, you, you get some of those like really long ones. Like um, what's one that I, I just couldn't ever get into because the length, it was just daunting. Uh, Witcher, Witcher three. Mm-hmm. I just, I couldn't, it was too much. I'm like, there's too much of a time sink for me that I just can't, it's too daunting and it's not worth it to me to just to, to keep dumping into it. Cause I'm not going to finish it. Do you feel like you're going to finish this? Do you feel like it is a, it's good yes. with your timing? Yes, I do. I feel like it's respecting my time there. The puzzles thus far feel very simple and very okay. easy and very approachable, which I want. I have always found hyper complex puzzles in games like Resident Evil to be silly and weird. Um, Resident Evil is, is a franchise that I want to love, but really I only like it a lot. Um, I love the idea of Resident Evil, but yeah. uh, I like it a whole lot, Asa. And I think the game and the time, it, it's res- it respects your time. It's mm-hmm. fun. It's very manageable. I've, again, put three three hours in, and I feel like I'm moving at a good pace. Okay. I feel like I'm moving at a good pace. So um, I really and truly don't think this is one you should sit out on, I think, even in a busy time right now. You'd be pleased if you were giving it an hour per, per play session. Um, okay. You'd be more pleased if you were giving it two hours per play session. Um, but but one is is good for sure. Perfect. Perfect. So, now the the last question I have, and I, I apologize. I know we're we're probably we're pulling in on time here. Um, so the the reason that the first one is my favorite is because it is essentially a zombie Metroidvania. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very heavy on the puzzles. Get this and do that. Metroidvania. Um, do you feel that? I know that you said that, you know, there's some puzzles. They're pretty simple. Um, and eight, do you feel any of that likeness? Do you feel anything that's Metroidvania esque? Do you feel like the puzzles are fun? There, there is certainly Metroidvania elements, okay. uh, to a point, but it's very light on that. At least this, at the stage I'm in seven had more of that than eight does in my time with it thus far. Okay. So that, that you know, there's a caveat. You're working with more of a, a not just one home or one area. Okay. Uh, so it's more expansive than that. But I don't feel confident telling you definitively yes or no at this point from where I'm at. 
Gotcha. Okay. That's fair. All right. Well, let's shift now. We are getting tight on time, and I want to get, keep the full episode under two hours. So let's shift into listener mail. All right, Mr. Green River, two questions this week. The first one comes from Eaton Ruby over on the Twitterverse. And remember, listeners, you can tweet me at InsipidGhost on Twitter uh, with your questions on uh, any number of Xbox topics. He says, do you think there could be an Xbox Valve partnership in the works? This could open the floodgates for hundreds of Steam gems and could also save Xbox the trouble of creating their own VR tech since they could just adopt Valve's. This could give Xbox access to Half-Life Alex. and <clears throat> quote. Yeah. Um, Asa, before you answer, I know that, uh, oh my gosh, Gabe Newell, I believe it was Gabe Newell. Um, is that who, that's who runs Valve, right? Yeah. yeah I get my, get my, all right. Sometimes I mix up my executives there. Uh, he was <laughs> quoted as saying there'd be more news to come as far as consoles later this year. Uh, yeah. And people expanded on that with their own rumor mills. Um, it's a question that we've heard before. Do you think Xbox and Valve could be working together? Uh, you know, it's really tough because I feel like there are both sides of the coin of why it's possible and then why it would never happen. Um, I feel like Valve is in a position where they're not, you know, they're they're not the king of the PC space anymore. Like there are, you've got Epic, you've got Itch. Um, you've got everybody now opening their own store, like Game Pass being on PC. Um, so they don't own the PC game anymore. So I could see that being a valuable partnership. Honestly, I could see it being more of a, um, I could see the, the, the partnership being more of uh, an incorporation, you know, kind of like with the EA Play and the Ubisoft thing where like you're, you're pulling in some games here and maybe it's like a, if you have game pass and you link it with your steam account, you can play your games on steam. You know, like I don't think it's going to be anything that big. I know that people are like, they have these wild expectations of what this could possibly mean. I don't think we're ever going to see half-life Alex on an Xbox platform. It's I, I understand that, you know, valve has their own VR tech and VR is such a big thing. I don't think that, I know that Xbox hasn't necessarily said no, and I know that they are still doing stuff with HoloLens, but I just, at this point, I feel like they're not going to do anything with VR. I, I, They've had their time in the sun, and they're just not taking advantage of it. So I, I understand why people want it to happen, but I just don't think that it's going to happen to that capacity that we would that we'd see that kind of crossover. I think it's going to be, if anything, very, very light. I like a lot of what you're saying there, and I've had similar thoughts in that mindset. I think it would benefit Valve greatly, particularly with their index tech, uh, to be on a console space like Xbox. And if the idea is you own an index and you can play your your game you know, from your Xbox versus your PC, that'd be great. Yeah. Uh, that said, VR, I, I know it disappoints a lot of people. That's a very niche market. It's a very niche yeah. audience. They're invested and they're interested, but it's not hyper popular i mean for all the success it's an expensive uh, barricaded ecosystem and they need to break out absolutely so i don't see steam coming to xbox but vr by way of steam like kind of like a a special storefront kind of thing i can understand and that that can make sense uh to a point i i guess i could 
I could I be open it. to the I don't idea endorse that's it. possible. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I understand I don't endorse it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, maybe that's the answer you were looking for there, uh, Ruby, but I don't, I don't know for sure there. Um, the other question we had was from Edward Varnell at the Retro Code, always supporting the show. Thank you, Edward. Your positivity is always appreciated, my friend. Uh, he says, do you think it's fair to rag on ambitious games when they build up expectations and fail to deliver? Does it deserve to be called questionable content or full-on trash? I'll take this one first, Asa. Yeah. Um, I think it's absolutely fair to, to critique or criticize any game that you are purchasing. That said, there are caveats involved, and you need to have appropriate expectations that are set forth by the developer or publisher. Um, I think it's very fair to highly critique. I don't know that rag on is the term I would use, but but uh, to use your words, yeah, I think you could rag on a game like No Man's Sky or Cyberpunk in what they promised versus what they delivered at launch. Uh, I think that's very important. Same with Master Chief Collection. The game was an absolute disaster at launch. Uh, all three of those developers and games that I've mentioned seem to be moving in the right directions uh, or have moved in the right directions. So I think you should always be critical of what you're spending your money on. And when somebody fails to deliver on appropriate expectations, set publisher, developer, anybody, movie, anything. The caveat that I want to put in your mind, the asterisk, I suppose, for for my answer here is uh, anybody that is going to be purchasing or consuming art or entertainment needs to remember that it's subjective and that the expectations, they need to be cautious that they are not the ones uh, overdoing their expectations. And Asa, you, I'm sure you would agree in the console content creation space, we <laughs> see a lot of people go out of their way to hype up something that is not necessarily true. What are your thoughts on yeah. this? Um, <clears throat> yeah, I definitely agree with, with everything that you're saying. Um, I, I feel like <laughs> hype coming in, coming into a, a game's like PR cycle is inevitable, especially when it comes from like a content creator standpoint. Um, and I say this, like, understand, like actively working on that side of things. Like when you, when you're an influence, when you're doing influencer marketing, like that's, that's all it is, is just giving all of this hype and you, you build up expectations. Um, like I think a, a big one, no offense to Ubisoft. I love Ubisoft, but hyperscape, like it fell so hard. Um, and I think it's like purely just because of all the expectations and the hype that content creators like brought to it. And that's where it didn't, uh, it didn't pan out. Um, I'm going to take my specific response to this. Also. Yeah. Shout out to Ed, Ed freaking rules. I love him. Um, I, I 100% my one part of my answer will be everything that you said, Luke, like spot on. The other thing I want to bring is just like a little bit of levity to it. Cause I can hear Ed's voice. I think it's so fair to rag on some of these ambitious games when they build you up because I going back to the top of the show as an OG Xbox guy, I think about the one and only Peter Molyneux and when, when he was selling fable, uh, when he was selling, um, uh, project ego, um, shoot, what was the other one? Like Milo, like that, Mm -hmm. he, I mean, he sold me as a young buck. Like I, I loved everything that he was selling me. I still love Fable, um, but everything that he was promising, bro, that stuff did not happen. Um, I am sorry, Peter Molyneux, um, but you were you were talking way too big. Um, the expectations were way too high, and I think it failed. A lot of those things like failed to deliver what he set up. But I think those games again were still fantastic. 
for, for yeah. what they were. But yeah, yeah I, I think it's fair when, when someone is just like, in specifically this situation, like Peter Molyneux, it's fair to rag on him, even though now he's probably had it too much. So maybe lay off Peter at this point. At this point, yeah. I think that's, a fair <laughs> point. that's a fair point there. Well, Asa Green River, that's going to wrap, wrap up our portion of the episode. Before we kick it over to Eve Cravoche of Take This uh, to discuss the mental health stigmas that go on in the gaming industry, please remind everybody once again uh, where you make content, what you do, uh, for work in the gaming sphere and where they should be finding you. Yes. Um, so if you want to find me in particular, you can find me on Twitter at a green river zero seven. Um, if you want to follow any of uh, borderline entertainment and the content creation that I do um, borderline entertainment on any social platform, twitch.tv slash borderline entertainment, youtube.com slash borderline entertainment um, within the gaming space. Uh, obviously take this. I talked about them. Eve is going to be fantastic. Um, please check them out. Um, the Games Hotline. Uh, I work with them as well in Feminist Frequency. Um, if you're out there and you need um, confidential emotional support, um, whether you make games or play games, please consider texting 23368 um, to get started. It's Again, it's completely confidential. Um, they We provide a, a, a marvelous service for people who need it. Um, and then also, I, I have to shout out uh, Waking Oni Games um, and our game Onsen Master that's going to be coming out soon. Um, I know we're, we're working really hard on that and uh, more to come on Onsen Master. So, yeah. Oh, now you give me something to look up uh, for sure. Alrighty, guys, I'm going to kick you over to that interview. Please enjoy it. Just support Asa uh, in all of his endeavors and Eve as well with Take This. Uh, that's it for my portion of this show. Take care. All right, I'd like to welcome now to the show Eve Crevoche, Executive Director of Take This. Thank you for joining me today. My pleasure. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks. I'm ecstatic to talk to you. Take This's mission uh, in gaming is uh, a valid and honorable one, and I really uh, appreciate the work you guys do. And I wanted to have you guys on really to expound on just what it is Take This uh, does for the gaming community and outside of it. Uh, so would you mind just taking us through the standard mission of what Take This is? Yeah, um, I'm, I don't have our mission statement memorized, uh, but we are <laughs> essentially an organization um, dedicated to addressing the stigma of mental health and um, doing it inside the game industry and the game community. So we want to um, make it clear that it's okay not to be okay, but also that there are tools and solutions to make both the experience of making games and playing games better and to be an advocate for games and game um, players and game makers across society broadly. That's brilliant. And I remember first hearing about you guys, uh, I believe it was on What's Good Games some years ago. Uh, and the mm -hmm. mission really stood out quite prominently for me because uh, mental health is so stigmatized in, in American culture and in worldwide, indeed, through a number of different cultures. Uh, what was it about the gaming community or game, uh, the, the idea of the gaming community that may take this focus their attention there? Mm. I mean, it was founded by game industry prof professionals actually after the um the suicide of a colleague mm -hmm. and so it was like hey you know mental health challenges and mental illness are a problem across all parts of society it's actually 
one of the things that we do to erase stigma is we talk about how important it is to understand that mental health and mental health challenges are really common. But in this case, it was like, hey, this is inside this industry. It's an even more stigmatized, even more um, uh, kind of difficult place to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, sorry, I just realized I need to pause my notifications on Slack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, that it's a really important that we be able to talk about it inside the context of what it's like to make and play games mm-hmm. because there are some very specific things inside games that um, that make it a bigger challenge. Um, inside the industry, it's about the stressors around the way games are made and or and around the way assumptions around how games sh- can be made and should be made and also um, the uh, moral panic around games as something that's bad or dangerous for kids and then the um, the specific and emerging not emerging but the awareness is emerging of how specific the challenges are of being involved in a in a set of communities and spaces that are largely online and what it means to be part of that, which is where harassment and toxic behaviors um, are almost ubiquitous. That's a lot to take in and a lot to tackle. Certainly a lot of, uh, a lot of different areas of approach there in terms of of trying to help the industry better itself. Uh, You started, you started first by discussing uh, the elements of the industry that can be, I don't know if the word, you did not use the word toxic, but my mind jumped to that perhaps because it's a buzzword, but the idea mm-hmm. of mental health within the industry, uh, meaning game makers, producers, publicists, people that work in bringing games to market. Uh, what types of things are you guys doing on that front or do you see on that front as ways to Im- improve mental health? Mm. So, I mean, the thing that most people think about mo- uh, most often is the culture of crunch, mm-hmm. which is working really long hours over long periods of time. And um, that's been a kind of persistent feature of the industry. It's declining as something that's really normalized, but it's still way more common than we'd like it to be. And um, so Take This has written two white papers about crunch and about other aspects of, of working conditions. And really, the truth is that crunch is part of is a symptom of larger issues around management. And um, the truth is that the game industry is actually quite young relative to a lot of other industries. Right? It's new and it's grown really, really rapidly. And and so there isn't a lot of institutionalized um, like management expertise and skill. And um, we're just developing as an industry the norms and um, standards for how you operate and what the tools are that you use to manage projects and plan, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, and so a lot of people have grown up kind of homegrown in this industry and now have a lot of people working for them and a lot of power and work for public companies and have these norms around um, working really, really hard um, and too hard in toxic, what I would call Toxic uh, cultures, and to be specific, that means um, work environments where um, people are not heard, where um, there's dysfunctional communication, lack of transparency, um, disempowerment, and and 
active harassment. And so, you know, those aren't unique to games, but they are pretty prevalent in games. And that's part of the concern there. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's kind of where it comes from and, and where I see the challenges we, um, and it also has been a very white male, um, space, Mm -hmm. uh, and it continues to be, it's getting a little tiny bit more diverse, but it's mostly getting diverse at lower levels and not at senior leadership levels. And so that's a challenge um, that needs to be addressed. And so all of those pieces um, we try to address through training and workshop initiatives, public, lots and lots of advocacy and public speaking, and just building coalitions of, of groups that are trying to change those, change the conversation in games. Certainly so. And I'm thinking back to a lot of conversations I've had over the past uh, year and a half, two years, really since Black Lives Matter began, mm-hmm. since COVID began, it gave us, uh, if you're to look for silver linings, it gave people time, I think, to reflect on language they would be using, behaviors that they might have been uh, a part of. And I think the games industry, at least in the social media space, seemed to be very reflective as well. And if the idea is to to work to empower different people throughout the industry uh, and educate those kind of in senior leadership positions and try to work to diversify those management positions so they can't be or they should not be, you know, homogeneous or all one you know, mm-hmm. white males or whatnot. Um, how do you go about doing that? In my mind, like, are you guys calling up EA and saying, let's have a seminar? Is it that simple? Mm-hmm. Is it far more complicated than that? Educate me there. It is pretty complicated. Um, we um, <laughs> we start by uh, doing a lot of so I show up at conferences and events and um, semin and and things all the time. Mm-hmm. Me and my team, and we just talk to as many people as we can as often as possible in these spaces. And one of the things that I have the opportunity to do is because I talk about mental health. Mm-hmm. which it isn't exactly diversity or representation, but it, but it relates to it directly. And so mm-hmm. I can talk about it from a, a, diff, a slightly different perspective than others can, where mm-hmm. I can say, look, there is a mental health, um, a major mental health component to a lack of representation mm-hmm. and um, to discrimination and to silencing, et cetera, et cetera. And so that, that, then that's like a, a tool that people can use to think about it, um, to wrap their heads around it, and to come to the conversation in a slightly less heated way mm-hmm. while still addressing the challenge, like the real thing, which is, you know, for in this case, diversity and lack of representation mm-hmm. and, um, and tokenizing and all kinds of stuff. Um, what, what is tokenizing, if you don't mind? Ah, yeah, that's a really good one. Um, so tokenizing is, you know, you'll say, oh, well, we hired a black, per- a black guy. Mm-hmm. And so we have diversity in our, in our company. And then that specific black guy becomes the, the, the nexus of all conversations about race. And mm-hmm. he has to become the expert. And so the burden is on him in this company to be all things black to the company. Mm-hmm. Right. And that's a huge burden on that person is also not representative of the diversity of being black, for example. Mm-hmm. And um, 
does not really address the larger structural issues that may make other people of color or or people from other uh, minority underrepresented groups uh, not feel welcome or not feel like they have space in a in a place. Mm-hmm. And that has does to that be. It, it certainly does, and that has to be yeah. very taxing on the mental health of not just that person, but those who are invested in that person, friendships, loved mm-hmm. ones, things like that. Yeah, it's it's super super taxing. And um, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I mean, because there's there's code switching that has to happen, which is like you have to change your cultural references and your language and your um, your sometimes your whole persona. And um, like there's research that we put into our white paper about how people, LGBTQ folks, um, they have like basically when they can't show up at work and talk about their partners, for example, or their families, their mental health suffers really substantially. And so it's, you know, it's like when you can't show up as yourself because there's either explicit or implicit um, or even unknown signals that, you know, you're not accepted as you are. That's really hard on people. Certainly so. Mm-hmm. Certainly so. And how, uh, again, I kind of go back to the idea, you're not calling up EA per se. You're meeting at conferences and whatnot, which had to be all that more difficult during the pandemic. But in trying to help course correct that studio culture, uh, is this a, a frequent visit thing? Do you go by invitation? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it case by case? So we start by doing small workshops. Like culture change is really hard. Um, and there's some projects I'm working on in partnership with other great organizations where I'm trying, we're trying to address the kind of overall um, industry culture, cultural assumptions. Mm-hmm. But really, it's it's about like talking to a small group of managers at this company and giving them some space to think through these issues, and then you know <clears throat> maybe having the company come back to us for another workshop, and then like starting that starting to get that visibility up to the top to the leadership and then the leadership starting to think about well what are the kind of design assumptions i make so i do it's some of its training some of it's like i just did an interview for a conference where i um i interviewed the co-ceos of a great studio that has an anti-crunch culture Mm -hmm. and commitment and talked about the specific tools they use to avoid crunch and to create transparency and to ad- address employee wellness. And that was a really popular session at this summit because it was concrete and it was clear and it felt like actionable items. And so a lot of, a lot of what I do is try to break down, well, what is it? that will help people change and just surface that information across the industry and become kind of a trusted um, voice where that's people know they can come to take this to find that information. Um, And then, you know, my clinical director gave a talk on burnout and what burnout really is and what it looks like. And it's just a lot of the barrier is lack of understanding or even like lack of a framework to understand what things are and how to think about them. Certainly so. And I'm thinking about a lot of the the ideas and the conversations that I've heard that regard mental wellness and, and how you mm-hmm. take care of yourself. I'm thinking about uh, quite separately, though tangentially related, how much my mental health and that of my, my coworkers and peers have uh, in a separate industry during the pandemic has been. And then I'm taking kind of those thoughts and combining them to different developers I've had on the show that have been so passionate that 
they didn't look at it as crunch. They looked at it as art, but they were independent and they were very, very different. And so uh, then you might have with Mm -hmm. a major corporation and uh, bigger entities. And as I hear you talk about what these people that you ran the seminar for enjoyed about actionable items and concrete things, it strikes me that in a management perspective, those would be measurable. They're not abstract or nebulous terms. Uh, so yeah. it's, it's measurable. Is that the big difference being measurable? Um, at a corporate level, for sure. Um, there's also like what you're talking about, you know, like a, um, an independent developer and like mm-hmm. my husband runs a small studio that has like 25 people in it. Right. Oh, cool. So I, I have this, you know, a kind of unique perspective. Yeah. I can look at it from two sides, but, um, the, um, at that, you know, at that small level, like you have people who get really wrapped up and, and passionate mm-hmm. and, and there's a, there's actually a, a kind of a thought framework around games about passion mm-hmm. around making games that, you know, people who make games are really passionate about games. And so they love to do it and they want to do it all the time. And, and they, and people who, who make games should be passionate. So they should do it all the time. And like, that's a really dangerous set of myths to sure. and and like a framework thought framework to work on inside mm-hmm. because um if you love something and you're doing it a lot because you love it but it's also going to benefit you that's probably okay as long as you have enough self-awareness to understand that you can still get burned out from that and that there are other things you need to do right mm-hmm. so even even that, that myth that can even be harmful um, for an independent artist. Mm-hmm. But then if you start getting into a company situation, um, even if employees are well um, treated and well compensated, if they're given, if they're not given um, boundaries, they're going to work a lot or even feel like, oh, they should work a lot because passion is important in this industry. If if you're not explicitly being told, hey, take some time off or these are the the times when we want you to work, like, it's really easy for it to become like a a slippery slope where you just work more and more and more. Mm -hmm. And when you're not working for yourself, you're not getting the benefits of your extra work. Somebody Mm -hmm. else is right. Right. Who are you working for? Who's getting the benefit of your work? Um, It's somebody else who's, you know, a company that's going to make them money off, off of your work. And so it's like, well, you know, one, don't overwork when you're not getting compensated. And two, don't actually overwork. There are lots of studies and lots of evidence that passion and overwork, uh, like they're not good. Mm-hmm. You don't produce good, better work. You produce worse work when you work too much. Um, burnout happens even when you are passionate and excited about the work that you do. And, um, and, it's really easy to lose sight of that. It is. I feel like you are talking to me right now, which is, <laughs> <laughs> which is difficult to try and run the interview and be like, man, that's really good advice. This is really helpful uh, yeah. Well, it can hit home. It's, I tell you. It certainly can. Now when, mm-hmm. and I'm, as you are, are describing these things, I feel like you're almost, and again, we're specific into studio cultures right now, but I feel like you're talking to two levels of people, management and those who are doing the work. Sometimes those are synonymous, oh, but yeah. oftentimes not. To those who are not in a manage- managerial role and they're trying to avoid that burnout, but their studio culture is 
is one of, I would, I guess you might say extended hours, maybe not quite crunch, but the normalization of long hours uh, and difficulty. How do you uh, recommend, you know, people in that studio or that culture go about trying to fix it where it perhaps is not toxic, but is, you know, there's something there that could be dangerously in slippery slopes. Yeah. I mean, so this is, this is where it's really tough because you're asking me for specific tactics and I, um, so groups of people working together to mm-hmm. address things are always more powerful than individuals. Mm-hmm. Specific requests and actionable um, items are always better received than general complaints. Mm-hmm. And um, conversations are always more productive than confrontations. Good advice anywhere, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, right. Right. But especially in an office setting, like it's really, it can be quite easy to be like, I'm going to revolt or we're going to, you know, (laughs) we're going to force. No, no, no. That's going to make people angry and defensive. Mm -hmm. Um, So especially in a, in a culture where um, there's, there's language being used about, we care about our employees or we're a family or, you know, I love everybody. Like you don't want to completely... Um, you know, it's the, there's psychology research, really good psychology research around how when you you have to you have to make an argument, you you have to help somebody change their worldview gradually. That if you totally upend their worldview, you, people get the most defensive because then they think everything that they've ever thought is being called into question, and that's very destabilizing and anxiety producing, right? Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> it's a conversation of like, hey. We're getting these implicit messages about working hours because management always is emailing us on the weekend and it's very stressful. We would like to suggest that we set some hours around when when it's appropriate for um, for management to email us or ping us on Slack or anything, you know, mm-hmm. and and set some hours around that. Could we do that? as a starting point. And that could involve, you know, people scheduling emails to go out or there being a, you know, a general um, company policy that people set things to do not disturb over the weekend or after certain hours at night, you know, and, and um, so that's like, that's a really actionable item and it can start to change. It can be the first conversation or the first step in a conversation that's larger about work hours and expectations. That is so brilliantly helpful because as you were mentioning earlier about actionable items, things that are measurable, things that uh, can be be seen as concrete, I was racking my brain by what those things could be. And Mm -hmm. this makes a lot more sense because if you are essentially allowed to be off the clock, even in a world where we're right now, emails go to our watches at some points Mm -hmm. and feeling like you're always on the clock as it were, pardon the pun, could certainly make make life very difficult for the mental illness of workers. So that is a very easy way. I would think a very healthy starting point uh, to make sense there. Totally. I mean, you can also like, you can also bring research in. Like we have a whole white paper on our website that talks about the, um, and, and a major section of it is around kind of what are the good boundaries for work and why does it matter that you have good boundaries um, and we talk about, about something called allostatic load, which was kind of like the, the 
the grand picture of stress in our lives, both physical and emotional and mental stress, right? right. And if it's, if it's too high, you stop working well, you develop burnout, you don't do your best work. So there's good reasons to reduce allostatic load. And one of the cr most concrete ways to do that is reduce the amount of hours that you're thinking about work. And that makes so much yeah. sense. So mm -hmm. much sense. Have mm -hmm. you found uh, a lot of healthy reception within the games industry? I mean, my inclination is to ask about like some of the major stakeholders like Xbox, PlayStation, that kind of thing. But in general with studios or, or publishers, are you finding a good reception to, the, to this particular white paper and to the idea behind it? Um, so, um, yes and no. There is, um, there's a, a part of the industry that is really resistant to change and that has a very, very bad work culture. And a lot of people, and to some degree I'm in, in this camp, feel like it's going to be a question of waiting some certain leadership out mm. and just them aging out of the industry, retiring. Which is a scary thing in, yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, they're not that far away, <laughs> uh, luckily. I mean, it's, you know... Um, a lot of the, the most interesting and exciting cultural changes are happening in smaller studios, mm -hmm. both because there's, there's, um, there's flexibility there that you don't see in, especially in public companies, mm -hmm. um, but also because a lot of, there are a subset of, of industry veterans who are like, hey, I went through an awful experience. I'm not going to replicate that. I'm going to start my own place and do it better. Mm -hmm. um, and, I, and there is a culture change around that. There is also like, um, and I will not say that they're perfect, but Xbox and and uh, and Microsoft are really trying hard to walk the walk, especially around diversity and inclusion mm -hmm. efforts, um, in a way that I don't see at other at any of the other large companies. Um, uh, I think their biggest challenge is around work hours and and culture, but they're in other ways, they're trying really hard to be a much more inclusive, much more welcoming space. And that's really exciting. Um, it's the one, one of the big ones that I've, where I've really seen it. Um, the, um, so it's, you know, like culture change is messy. And, and there was a, there was a lot of news last year about CD Projekt Red and, mm -hmm. um, like that was pretty bad. And, and, you know, there's been, there's been, um, so there are, and, and, and that's a, an Eastern European studio. And I think there's also very different cultural, um, norms across different geographies and games that mm -hmm. are harder to tease apart. Like, you know, we, we operate at Take This from a very, um, North American, Western European worldview. And that's different from a lot of other places. Um, and, uh, so it, so it doesn't doesn't always uh, scan or, or kind of translate the right way, quite literally. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I would say th there's, a, there's a, a variety of things happening, and some of them are great and some of them aren't. As I think about those different cultural approaches, games are made all over the world. They are made mm -hmm. primarily uh, in, in certain parts of the world. We were talking about with uh, Remy Ismail a few weeks ago about mm -hmm. how there needs to be more diversity where games are made. But those yes. cultural uh, receptions to different things like a white paper, which for any listener that doesn't know, that's something that a government or nonprofit would do to, to get research out there. Is that correct? 
Yeah, it's a basically it's a posi- it's a well researched position paper. It's saying, hey, this is what we think mm-hmm. uh, needs to happen, or this is what we think the state of the industry is. That was ours was a state of the industry, and here's the research to back all of that up. And here's the summary. Is the reception from different geographical cultures uh, a difficulty for you guys as you try to get your message out there? Um. Well, we have we have made the decision because we know that mental conversations about mental health are so different in different places mm-hmm. to pr- just focus our work and our outreach in Western Europe and North America. And, um, uh, and that's just been the most effective place to do our work. Mm-hmm. Um, we do, you know, we get, we talk to, to large companies um, periodically who have ge- geographic distribution outside of those places and we talk about how we can do some work there and what the limitations might or might not be of that. Well, I do want to talk to get to how you do some of those uh, discussions via ambassadors and AFK rooms and things like that. Uh, mm-hmm. And I would imagine that a lot of those are built to help the players as well, which is uh, yeah. uh, an aspect that we've not talked about yet the, right, thus far. Right. So, uh, Feel free to start anywhere you like in that particular respect. But outside of studio help, uh, what are you guys doing for communities and and gamers? Yeah. So that's another really important aspect of our work. In fact, our new tagline is um, uh, community support and mental wellness. And so those are our, you know, those are our pillars. Um, Mm -hmm. We uh, really, due to the pandemic, we decided to bite the bullet and, and create a discord community oh you, uh, you, you capitulated there yeah we did and actually it was great it was it was one of the best decisions we have made over the past year and change was to do that and to set something up that was really it's not it's not an emotional support hotline or anything it's a it's a supportive and, and welcoming community and it um, demonstrates and lives our values um, and our principles and that's really wonderful and that's growing in size every day um, we've also, we have long had a uh, streaming ambassador program. So streamers who are mental health advocates in their own streaming and who want to be, um, st- continue to be strong mental health advocates in the community are given um, support and a platform through Take This to continue to do that work and to amplify it. Mm-hmm. And we use them also as a kind of a brain trust um, and resource for uh, for press and interviews and for our own work. So we're developing a, a video s- training series for streamers um, to help that support their mental health and the mental health of their communities. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're relying on our streamers, our ambassadors, to help us build that. So, um, and and so those that is a program that's growing, and we're developing. And we're always evolving it, but you know we're we're really trying to ensure that ambassadors get training and support to be really good mental health advocates um, so that that the messages, the really um, accurate and helpful and safe messages about mental health and mental health support uh, gain traction because there is, there's bad stuff out there. There's, there's bad information and inappropriate um, stuff going on without good boundaries, et cetera. So we want to, we want to promote the best practice and the safe, safest practice. Um, and then, as you mentioned, we have this AFK room program, and that's that's as old as the organization itself since to, about 2014. We have been um, providing quiet, supportive spaces at conventions 
mm-hmm. um, that uh, that are a respite from the intensity of the floor. Mm-hmm. And those spaces, they're staffed by clinical and non-clinical volunteers. And they are not places to get treatment, but they are places to like regain your calm and get some talk to somebody. And if there's a crisis happening, we can call either um, family, uh, friends, or emergency services in that case, uh, with your permission. And then we can also um, uh, start conversations there that help people kind of move down the path towards destigmatizing their own mental health needs and um, reaching out and getting the help that they need. Um, so one of the things is we have a flowchart printed um, on a pamphlet in there that's how to find a therapist. Gotcha. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and these AFK rooms are largely for for different types of conventions and uh, in my mind, crowded areas. I'm thinking like E3, PAX, stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. PAX is where you have the largest presence. Um, exactly. And then we also, we did that online for the first time this year and we'll continue to be offering that as a service. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also... Um, we also like we have a website full of resources and information and advice and tools and et cetera, et cetera. I'm curious if my verbiage is wrong, but as I hear you describe the AFK room, my yeah. and, and, and when I was doing my research for it, it reminded me of just the, the very simple term, a safe space, a safe, safe room. And yeah, is that I mean, it's, yeah, talk is me that through okay? it. OK? Yeah. I mean, we don't describe it that way. Um but it is designed to be a place um, that feels safe, but also feels supportive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and I suppose I was hesitant to even ask that question because one of the things that you mentioned earlier for a lot of your ambassadors in the streaming space uh, and in working through some of the stigmas is there's a lot of bad information out there. Uh, yeah, also I appreciate that. outdated and whatnot. So I'm curious to know, what are some of the stigmas that you all work to combat through your programs uh, to make sure that people realize, you know, what they might be think is helpful is indeed harmful and how they might correct it? Mm, yeah, I think one of the ones that we try to talk about the most is toxic positivity. That is an incredibly complex term. <laughs> yeah. So toxic positivity is the like, it we, it will get better. You know, you are, um, there. don't worry, everything's going to be okay, da, da, da. Um, which is this fear of talking about bad things mm-hmm. and um, fear that acknowledging that thing, if things are really awful and crappy and uncomfortable and sad, that that's giving in to the despair when in fact acknowledging what's actually going on is the healthiest place to start. I see. Um, That, you know, it might be that things will get better and it likely is if you acknowledge, it is likely that if you acknowledge the challenges, things can get better, Mm -hmm. but um, ignoring it and not talking about it is, is really dangerous actually. Um, You know, one of the things I I did a mental health first aid training um, as, as part of my, you know, ongoing professional development. And one of the things we learn there is you need to talk to people who might be uh, having suicidal ideation about it. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to ask specific questions to people who who um, who might 
be really depressed and thinking about suicide because that's how you understand where they're at and if they need help. Mm -hmm. So um, it's not the same thing, but, you know, it's like we part of dealing with challenging things is naming them for what they are. And that means saying when it's really kind of shitty. Yeah. I don't know if I can say that here, but <laughs> you absolutely can. You absolutely can. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that, uh, that, that false positivity can really take you away from addressing the real problem. Exactly. That's, that's yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it's not, it's not useful mm-hmm. and can be very harmful. Certainly so. Certainly so. My goodness. So as you work to, to help these gamer communities, not just the ambassador program and not just through AFK rooms online or in person, but I'm sure you have to work with some of the stakeholders, whether it be a game developer or, or, or some of the bigger platforms and trying to help them uh, with their different communities to, to, to mitigate some of these problems. And my mind jumps to 2006 Xbox Live, you know, someone such and such had relations with my mother and I'm a terrible person, that kind of thing. Is that in the right ball, ball, uh, wheelhouse for what you guys might help with or is this a separate thing? So in terms of, uh, gosh, there's so many things to say here. Um, right? <laughs> right? Oh, yes. I, I, I'm like, oh, imagine, okay. Imagine trying to ask the question in less than a paragraph. Not easy. Yeah. Uh, I, I hear you. Um, <laughs> so, um, one, uh, in general, take this does not itself provide direct service. Mm-hmm. We do some crisis response in the sense that we will sometimes reach out to folks we know are in the midst of, of crisis or are part of some giant brouhaha, you know, mm-hmm. there've been developers who've come, um, into experience, you know, harassment and, and pylons and doxing, et cetera. And we've reached out to them and, Mm -hmm. you know, offered support. But, um, the, uh, what we are doing a lot of, um, and what I'm doing a lot of is thinking about what are the structural challenges across the industry around, um, online interaction and how we address it. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, So, yeah, I mean, so, so we, we as an organization, because we're largely an advocacy organization, we Mm -hmm. tend to think about things from a systems change or structural perspective. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And, and I was actually having a conversation with somebody else about this today. Games is relatively unique um, not in tech, but but across like other forms of leisure, entertainment, et cetera, in that every space in which people play video games or interact is controlled by a company, right? Mm-hmm. You're inside a game on a platform in a um, in a community on Discord or on Twitter. All of these are corporate spaces that are controlled by corporate entities you know, Steam, the Switch, the, you know, all the, all the consoles, all of this. And those companies are setting the policies and making the design decisions and implementing the tech that influences your experience. Which, which, and that experience is certainly, uh, certainly can be adjusted very quickly or, or managed through crises. Yeah. Yeah, and those, those like the the very 
the assumptions that go into how those are designed and what's what is permitted in these spaces mm -hmm. come from the way those companies are organized and who has voice in those companies. So if anybody is experiencing uh, is recognizing in themselves that they are, are not mentally well and they're, they're in need of an advocate uh, or professional or not, and yes. they take the time to go to takethis.org, I noticed in my research for this, there was just a plethora of resources and it's organized in a very, very simple way to help people find what it is they need, advocate versus professional, facts about mental health, things like that. Yeah. Yeah, we we designed our website with the intention of making it really easy to find support mm -hmm. because that's the first thing. And so we have we have a big yellow box on our front page that says if you need immediate support or somebody you know needs immediate support, go here. And we have a widget that helps you find um, text and chat um, helplines, emotional and crisis support lines um, around the world. And we have uh, lots of resources for um, how to find a therapist and where to get help and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And um, uh, so, and then there are also, there's a lot of explainers and information, like I said, you know, uh, what it means to be an advocate, what it means to be a professional, what that line is, how to talk about mental health and mental illness in effective ways, and then just um, lots of um, explainers about the current research and the state of what we know and understand about the impact of games on mental health and, the, and both positive and negative. So we just, uh, we exist to be as much as possible a really trusted resource. It's certainly so. A lot of research behind a lot of this stuff. And I'll let any yeah. listener know, I really appreciated some of the very simple bullet points like language and, and how to yeah. identify little things in in my own verbiage that might be insensitive and, and and might lead me down the wrong path or put somebody else on a wrong path when I mean nothing illicit by it. I mean nothing, no ill will or anything else. Understanding the message that we send by accident can be very, very helpful towards the point. Right, of right. Like using the word crazy or insane too much. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, those those using that word, those words to talk about everyday experiences um, s further stigmatizes the experience of having mental health challenges. Right. And I again, over the past year and a half, a lot of reflection in, in across mm. multiple spectrums and ideas right. of where, where verbiage is so important there. Um, totally. You said you were founded, I believe it was 2014 that you said, correct? Yeah, well, the original it started as a like a Tumblr blog in 2012, and then was incorporated in 2014, um, and then I joined three years ago. Well, I suppose the easiest and and way that I'll have us exit the interview is how goes the mission? You know, great. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, you were talking about the challenge of of the pandemic, and in some ways, this was a real opportunity for us, and that's a mixed blessing, obviously, but. Suddenly, the conversation about mental mental health opened up a lot mm -hmm. um, because lots of people were really struggling, and so it became apparent that it was worth talking about mental health and mental well being, especially in the work environment, when there was so many other stressors on, in people's lives, and that was uh, that was an opportunity that really helped us move the conversation forward. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and also, because everything went online, we actually had more access to conversations and to conferences and events than we would have otherwise because mm -hmm. we don't have – we're a small nonprofit. We don't have a travel budget that's unlimited. You know, mm -hmm. I can't just jump on a plane and go to every event and conference. Mm -hmm. But in this context, I could do a lot, and we could show up in a lot of places, and that was great. Um, and and we put a lot of effort into our streaming presence. And, and, and so I think um, – you know, we are, we're embarking on some research, although we're trying, we're hitting some roadblocks in terms of getting access to data across the industry. That's a whole other conversation <laughs> um, about transparency and secrecy. But um, we are, you know, we are doing more trainings than ever. We are uh, having conversations and collaborations um, across the industry in places that, um, that are new and exciting. Uh, and so I, I feel really hopeful about how we're moving the needle forward in these conversations. That mixed blessing is something that I share a sentiment on uh, wholeheartedly, yeah. wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, it's, it's been a tough year. If, yes, and my hope, I suppose, is that some of these bigger stakeholders in the industry, developer or otherwise, uh, are able to hear your message more loudly and more clearly over the after yeah. after this past year and a half or so experience. Uh, do you think it's going to go in that way? I suppose it's a bit of optimism at the end. Yeah, I do. I really do. I think you know the the pandemic has has fundamentally changed um, a number of our assumptions and the ways that we work, um, and I don't think we'll ever quite go back to the way we were. Um, and that that will feel you know, strange and, and uncomfortable and sad in some ways, but I think it's a real opportunity in others. And that's exciting for me, for sure. Well, Eve Crevochet, I appreciate your time so much. I appreciate the work that you all do in shedding light on these issues. Uh, where should people go if they are in need of some counsel or some, some counsel or guidance, I suppose? Uh, and where should advocates go if they want to find more resources? So everybody should go to our, our homepage, takethis.org. Um, and from there, uh, there's a mental health resources page that's very easy to find. There's a big orange box right on the, on the homepage. Um, and uh, there's more community resources and, and tools um, in the nav bar at the top of the page that are, um, uh, we have some expert articles. We have um, a series of, of research explainers. Um, we have community resources as well as mental health resources. And so it's, um, it, sh it should be pretty easy to find all that stuff.